Hello and welcome to Supervision Smorgasbord, a podcast full of tips, tricks, and interviews with experts to help you enjoy being a supervisor. Here's your host, Dr. Tara Sanderson. Welcome everybody and thank you for joining me again. Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Judy Fernandez. Dr. Judy, um, I will just call you Judy from now on, but is a licensed clinical social worker with a practice in Manhattan, New York. She is a group practice owner, uh, providing a lot of supervision, not only to the LMSW community, but MFT student interns as well. She provides group supervision for her group practice, and she has a doctorate in social work from Tulane University. Judy, it is so good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I start out every episode that I do um, interviews in uh, with a guest question. So your question today is, what is one of your goals that you would like to achieve in the next five years? Oh, in the next five years, um, I want a food truck. It has nothing to do with social work. What, what kind of food truck? <laughs> um, so like a Caribbean, South Asian infused food truck. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I feel like we as therapists in the world have a lot of like, um, like coinciding little lines. Like a Mm -hmm. lot of us are very creative. So I know a lot of therapists who used to be photographers or who do Mm -hmm. photography on the side or web design or creative endeavors. But I also know a lot of like foodie therapists. I probably... (laughs) Uh, probably four or five years ago, maybe I totally decided I wanted to run a donut food truck that only that serves amazing. the donut holes, but like uh-huh. specialty kinds. Right. Um, <laughs> and I, I probably have a Google folder on my thing right now with like, what kind of food truck would I need? And what would the budget be? <laughs> like, I love it. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Yeah. So, and it's very different, right? It's, yeah. You're using a totally different skill set. Mm-hmm. All yeah. that good business acumen that you have, but mm-hmm. also just so much creative creativity and fun. Right. And I'm really good at tasting food. So I feel like that would be helpful. Wonderful. Yes, for yeah. sure. And I feel like there is something to like the immediacy of getting feedback from people. Like when they, when they taste your food and you hear that mm-hmm. guttural yum feeling. Right. We don't get a lot of in therapy. We don't get a lot of like immediate feedback all the time Mm -hmm. that things are going well. But I think that would be a a lovely side benefit of having a food truck. It definitely would be. Absolutely. I love it. Good for you. (laughs) All right. So today we are going to be talking about the importance of supervision and being supervised by a social worker. And then uh, we may branch into talking about group supervision. So what I would love to start with is to just gather from you some some understanding of maybe what goes into becoming a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed clinical social worker supervisor, and like, why, why is it so beneficial? Sure. Um, So in becoming a licensed, I'll start there with becoming a licensed clinical social worker. Um, After grad school, we have to, we have to take an exam for the LMSW, which drives us all crazy. And I haven't heard one good thing about that test. Um, So after you take that exam and you pass it, you then have to work under a psychologist, a clinical social worker, um, somebody that's fully licensed that can supervise you to obtain your clinical hours. Um, And then you have to get 3,000 hours 
or it's it's like this weird time frame, 3,000 hours, three years. It mm. can't be less than three years. There's all these ifs, ands, or buts, but that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Um, and then you go take another exam. That's nice. very similar. Yeah. <laughs> very similar to the LMSW. Um, a little bit more diagnoses and medication that's thrown in there, but overall very standard to the way the questions are asked. Um, once you pass that exam, then you're a licensed clinical social worker. Um, and then, you know, from there, what I did was I, when I had my LMSW, you can actually be a SIFI instructor Mm. and that allows you to supervise interns, but you have to have three years of experience in the field. So I was working at a men's shelter. I was um, in the field for three years at that time. And it's a course that you can take at a university. And they're just teaching you how to supervise an intern, what to provide. Um, In New York, we have to do as social work students. And it's so funny because with the MFT students, I was like, do you guys have to write process recordings? And they're like, what are those? And process recordings, I learned um, only social workers in New York seem to do these. Oh. And so what you do is you take a piece of your conversation with a client and you literally write out verbatim Mm -hmm. what that conversation was, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you're analyzing it from like, what theory did I apply here? Yes. Um, What could I have done? Right. You're looking for the you're assessing for the client's body language, all of that. And then you bring that to supervision and I go over that with you. Nice. Right. So so there's pros and cons to doing it. but so anyway, that's what you kind of you learn as a SIFI instructor. And that stays with you forever. Essentially, you get certified in it. Um, and then as you become as I transitioned to a clinical social worker, I was able to supervise LMSWs, interns, MFTs, MHCs, um, pretty much anyone that falls in the mental health field. Nice. Yeah. So it, there's no certification necessarily to really supervise. It's really your experience. Um you know, and I personally, like, especially with the therapists in my practice, my goal is to do um, collaborative work, right, and mentor them more so than just going over cases and things like that, but really helping them develop their skills and um, find out what their niche is. Yeah. Um, because, you know, in grad school, you work with everybody, right? Your internship isn't necessarily where you want to be. <laughs> Absolutely. So helping them figure out, like, who is it that I want to work with? What are the modalities? Where do I want to strengthen my skills? Um, And I pulled from a lot. I had some really good social work supervisors and some really bad social work supervisors. So being able to kind of pull from both sides to um, provide a space where people can learn and they can grow. Yeah. What were some of the things that you pulled from your your best social work supervisors that you are like, these are the things people need to be thinking about and doing? Yeah. So I think it was consistency. Right. So because there's weeks where ironically, it's slow. Right. And you're like, nothing's changed since last week. We don't have to meet. But the consistency shows you that someone is there showing up for you every week. Um, You don't have to just talk about cases. I, there was a lot of like professional development in my supervisions Um, and like what, you know, what I wanted to get out of it. So really going into supervision as a supervisee with an agenda, Mm -hmm. not just waiting for my supervisor to come to me, you know, with what they wanted to talk about. Um, And then the support, like as social workers, I think just anyone in the mental health field, you get thrown into things and you're like, what am I doing? 
you know, so that support that someone's been there, we're not going to know what we're doing all the time. Um, but we're making the best judgment call that we can. Mm-hmm. So I think the space to talk about that, um, the space to talk about like the hard work that we do and we have to process that we don't want to carry outside of work. Yeah. Um, all of those were the good things that I took away from some of the leaders that I had. I love that. And I think that there is something really important about that first one about consistency that that I think uh, another person that I interviewed said something about like, there's always something to talk about. Mm-hmm. And it may not be about clients, it may be right. about your professional development, it may be about something that you're still holding from a previous mm-hmm. week, it could be all sorts of things. And to to honor a space and to open a space where the supervisee can really um, check in with themselves about what they need in that time, right. right? That sometimes it really is just like a client dump and we just have to get through clients to make sure we're knowing what's going on in some mm-hmm. places. But sometimes it's things like, you know, a, a family dynamic issue came up between one of the clients and their parents and, and it really stirred some of your own stuff and, and helping right. them define the line of, what stuff you need to process in here with me, what stuff you need to take to your own therapist even mm-hmm. and and work on because maybe there's something deep in there that's, that's right. yours to work on in a way that's going to make you a better therapist as you mm-hmm. are able to work some of that out. And you really only get that closeness and that um, that collaboration by consistency, by right. being there each and every week and, and keeping those appointments and making sure that that, that person feels like they're connected to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. That is huge. When you are supervising, you you had mentioned before we got on that you have a group supervision right now that is both, um, I, I think, LMSW students and uh, MFT students, or, mm-hmm. uh, right? Tell me a little bit about what you're noticing in that dynamic with the different types of training that come into the room. Yeah. So um, with the LMSW students, I think it's more so, and you know, I'm not sure if it's based on the curriculum, right? Our the curriculum in school was very different, um, but with the LMSW students, there's a wider, I think there's a wider use of um, of a knowledge base, right? Because I I don't know if we just had more general classes or what that was really like in school, but in comparison to MFTs. There's a lot of focus on family dynamics and couples mm-hmm. um, and not so much the individual. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when there's there's more individual work being done by the LMSW, they're able to give that guidance and um, provide that support to the interns who are still kind of learning how to navigate um, some of these sessions. Mm-hmm. And... Um, then vice versa, because I have an LMFT that's on too, and she provides really good resources for couples therapy, nice. right? So I do think that the not being able to have like that diverse group of clinicians on the team is really great and being able to provide um, various, you know, modalities to use or trainings that they've had. But I think the differences is really like what we learned in school and how we're applying it yeah. um, in, you know, in real life sessions. Yeah, that framework with with how you learn, how mm-hmm. to be a clinician, how you handle different problems and different diagnoses. Yeah, I feel like is different between the the types of degree that you're kind of the framework that they're teaching you coming in the door. Right. Mm-hmm. I work with um, psychologists and uh, or psychologist residents. Um mm-hmm 
professional counselor associates and marriage and family therapy associates. And um, basically they're postgraduate pre-licensed kind of Mm -hmm. folks getting their hours in. And it it is such a difference talking to them, each of them in in their own ways of how they understand things or what classes they were able to take. Um, So many of my LPCs uh, or my professional counselor associate folks um, got a lot of training in specific modalities or specific interventions Mm -hmm. that like nobody else got, but they didn't get the same breadth into the marriage and family kind of courses or the systems kind of courses. And my MFT folks get a lot of those, but not Mm -hmm. a lot in some of these other areas. And then of course my psychologists get a lot in assessment and research Mm -hmm. and all the other pieces. So it is interesting kind of standing back and going, huh, so this is a hole you have and you have the (laughs) the thing that fits. So how can we... (laughs) Right. And get you guys to communicate. And maybe that's the power of group supervision, right? Yeah, right. And I think it's really, you know, also bringing cases in and knowing that you have the support from your team. And when somebody else has that shared experience, being able to talk about it and say, you know, hey, I tried this intervention. Maybe you should try this as well. Um, It's just a different kind of support than individual supervision. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you structure your group supervision meetings? Um, so we meet monthly on, um, it's the last Tuesdays of the month and we actually go get breakfast together because most of us are, um, we're remote or if we're in the office, we're not in the office at the same time. So that's one time we actually all get to sit down and be together. Oh my gosh. I love that. And we, um, you know, just over breakfast, we'll talk about any challenges anyone's having, having any cases that we can provide support around. Um, And I think it's just, it's a good learning opportunity for everybody, like including myself. You know, I don't work with um, couples or adolescents. So the other therapists that they, that do, they bring in a different insight to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That is really fantastic. And I love that you that you prioritize just time with each other for the purpose of Mm -hmm. really uh, helping each other out. Because I think that I think that this industry is very lonely, Um, whether you're in private practice by yourself or in a group practice with Mm -hmm. other people in the office, you're, you're talking to people all day long, but not really. Right. Like it is not fully a shared experience in those Mm -hmm. meetings. And then we're taught so much confidentiality stuff that often we end up like trying to close it up all by ourselves and be like, well, I guess I'm supposed to know everything. I'm supposed to know Mm -hmm. how to fix this myself. I'm supposed to, you know, I'm 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 supposed to be all encompassing. Right. And then next thing you know, you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm all alone with a lot of a lot of stuff. Going yeah. On and, here. you know, I think that confidentiality piece is huge, right? We it's ingrained, I think, no matter what the degree is, yeah. that we have to keep all of these um, these pieces of the puzzle confidential. But then we need to get help. Right. So then we have to kind of depict what are we taking to share where we can give enough information, but not too much and still get the support that we need. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really important point. Also to your point around, like, we're talking to people all day, but it doesn't feel like we're, you know, it still feels like we're alone and it's more like people are kind of talking to us and we're there. Yeah. And as much as this is, you know, our industry is built off of the relationship is what changes people. Mm -hmm. It's still a one-sided give 
relationship right. more than it is a collaborative full on we're experiencing this all together because um, yeah. even as much as we want to collaborate with our clients on things or our supervisees on things we we can't we can't mm-hmm. be our full and complete self in those spaces because that's not therapeutically appropriate yeah <laughs> that's not focusing on them to grow yeah I think that's that's a conversation I have with many supervisees as they get started of, of saying like you have to build a support network whether that's mm-hmm. a part of our practice stuff um, right. or if they're out on their own doing their own private practice stuff like find a consultation group find a support network mm-hmm. that that is appropriate for you to share these stories a bit with in a way right. that is beneficial to you but mm-hmm. not giving away so much of that person's story that's not yours to give right 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 absolutely how does that work for you guys over breakfast how do you keep the keep it enough confidential um, so no identifying information, um, nothing that is, it's mainly, you know, like Bob came to session, this is the issue. How can I, like, what's an intervention to use, right? Like we try to not use any, um, any identifying information as much as possible. Um, the space that we do have breakfast in is enclosed. Oh, so nice. there is some, yeah, there is like some privacy there. But, you know, with anything, even just having everything on the internet, we just have to be careful with what information we're talking about and what we need to keep private. Yeah, absolutely. I mm-hmm. find that I'm constantly giving people the, um, the I'm going to use the word advice because I can't think of a better one right now, mm-hmm. but the guidance maybe, mm-hmm. um, of when we are asking for support, we're asking for ourselves. So being being thoughtful of like, the difference between a teen and a 45 year old man may be a different intervention for sure. But what are you needing in that? Like, instead of saying, I've got all this information about this client that I have to tell you in order to Mm -hmm. get what I need. Maybe it's asking a question like, um, I am struggling with an intervention for uh, OCD in, in this area, blah, right. blah, blah. Or I'm struggling with needing support for, um, you know, a client shared some really big trauma with me and I'm, and I'm mm-hmm. needing support for how I can take care of myself in that. Right. Because right. at the end of the day, you're mm-hmm. identifying a need that is missing in you and not necessarily needing to give away everybody's story. Yeah. Um, in absolutely. order to fit that. Right. And a lot of group supervision is that is, the um, therapist coming in and saying, you know, a client shared a really traumatic event with me. And it's not so much so the intervention for the client, but how do I sit in that space with the client? Right. Yeah. 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 That is an interesting piece too, just as a supervisor, how do you handle when a supervisee um, uh, maybe wants to protect you from, Mm -hmm. from like re-traumatizing by telling you their client's traumatic story? Mm hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I always have the space open for them to share it because I think sometimes they need to vocalize it again, like what they heard. Um, and if they generally, I will say that they're all open to just sharing it because it's, it's heavy, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's a heavy thing to carry on your own when you're hearing it. Um, and validating them in that space that it is a tough thing. I'm really big on self-care. So talking to them about, you know, now that you heard this, you've gone through this session, um, what did you do at the end of the day? Right. And if you didn't do anything, what are you going to do to take care of yourself? Yeah. Um, 
and just preparing yourself on the day to day. Self-care can't be something that you do once you're burnt out. Yeah. Or once you've heard too many traumatic stories. Yeah. This isn't one of those scenarios where when the cup is full, you pour it out. Like you have to be (laughs) regularly Mm -hmm. intervening with the cup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really, that's a really incredible piece of it, of being open, making sure that that's part of the arrangement that you're sharing with Mm -hmm. them is like, I expect for you to go through some vicarious trauma because your clients will share stuff with you. and, Mm -hmm. And here's a way for you to navigate that and by coming in. And sitting with that story, sharing that story, getting the support that you need to navigate it, and then working through what self-care you need to be able to to manage um, mm-hmm. that distress. Um, right. Because I, I think that I have I have a lot of like super really wonderful, empathetic people who work for mm-hmm. me. And in the midst of supervision, sometimes they'll say like, gosh, it was a really tough day. And I'll be like, okay, well, let's talk about it. And they'll be like, well, right. I don't want to traumatize you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the that's not the gig here. I get to know about all the things that happen to your clients. Like yeah. you don't have to protect me from your client stuff. And you do need someone to support this with because if it's not me, it's going to leak out somewhere. And sometimes mm-hmm. what I end up hearing is my my supervisees or supervisees in general will share like, "Oh, well, I just talked to my husband about it when I get home or I talked to my partner about it." Mm-hmm. Um, which of course isn't is not okay. Like we, we can't really share our clients stuff Mm -hmm. with our people in the same way that most people come home and vent about work. We don't really get that part. We, we really do have to transition and tailor to, it was hard for me to sit through my sessions today. Mm -hmm. Like I can share that with my partner, but I can't necessarily share with them. Well, this client, you remember the one who like works at the thing and does (laughs) it. Yeah. (laughs) That's way too much. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you have a colleague of people or a a support um, of people where you, where you have a place to say, yeah, I had a client who shared with me their traumatic story and I need to lean on you guys a little bit and process mm-hmm. it out loud. Uh, obviously not giving any personally identifiable information, but enough to be able to say it hit me hard and mm-hmm. I need I need some crutches. I need some support right. to be able to keep moving through this stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a good point too, right? Our work is different in the case that you can't go home after a long day and kind of unload the same way that you typically, you know, other people typically can. So supervision, whether it's consultation groups with peers or with super uh, supervisees, I think both of those are just really important components um, to have aside from, you know, your own therapy, right? But you can't go into therapy and talk about all your cases because that's not it either. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like, um, you know, finding that friend as you're commuting home that you can talk to a not friend friend, but like a therapist Mm -hmm. friend um, where you can share the things that need to be said out loud. And then when you do get home, you've you've kind of gotten to a place where you can share. Yeah, I had a really great day. People made some breakthroughs. It was good. Or Mm -hmm. it was a really rough day. Lots of trauma, lots of sadness. And I'm going to need I'm going to need some space today for yeah. how, I'm, how I'm managing it. Like mm-hmm. Those are conversations that tell your partner what they need to know, but don't overshare somebody else's story. Right. I often think about like, what all would I like my doctor or my um, whoever to share mm-hmm. with their spouse about me, right? Like, right. Uh, not much, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> like for them <laughs> to share about me. So if I'm not willing for my doctor, whether it's a mental health doctor or a physical doctor, 
if, if I'm not willing for them to share it about me, I'm pretty sure I can't be sharing it about other people, right? That's Agreed. not, no matter if our partner is going to keep it completely to themselves or not, it doesn't matter. It's not our stuff to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you think about um, some of maybe the structure of how you set up supervision, are there any tips that you would give on maybe like the paperwork that you use or what you make sure to put in your notes? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always go with my own agenda of, you know, any practice updates, any cases that we talked about last week that I want to make sure we need to follow up on. And then I ask the supervisees to have their own agenda. So whether it's clients or, um, clients or personal growth, things like that, please, you know, come prepared. Um, and then the other part is, um, for personal growth, I do a check-in around, three months and then six months just to see where they're at. What do they want to learn? How are things going? Um, And also just seeing how they're doing in general, right? Like that is such an important piece. Um, You know, somebody told me last week, they're from a different country and they were like, you know, Americans really, when they ask you how you're doing, they don't really want to hear your response. (laughs) They only ask out of courtesy. And so, you know, I was like, that's really true, right? It's like a passing thing. Mm -hmm. So, when I started asking my supervisees in this role and my previous roles, like in the nonprofit world, um, like, how are you? Right. And they finally understood, like they could say they were not okay. Right. Or they were okay, whichever it was, but that it would be, that it would mean something. Yeah. It changes the dynamic of your relationship. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I try really hard to model that as well from my side. When they ask me, sometimes they'll pop onto the meeting and they Mm -hmm. get to the how are you before I get to the how are you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, whenever they ask how I'm doing, I, I really do try and like pause for a second and really think about like, how am I doing in this mm-hmm. moment? What What is going on in me? Uh, probably about a week ago or so, I mentioned that I had a lot of like chaotic, good energy going into mm-hmm. that meeting where my brain was just like squirrels running around with all these ideas and so much was happening. Um, and I said, you know, yeah, I'm coming into today's meeting with a lot of chaotic, good energy. It doesn't feel stressful. It feels creative. Mm-hmm. It feels like movement forward. But I recognize that that's that could potentially get in our way of meeting you where you are. So if right. at any time I'm off on a ramble somewhere, like feel free to like put your hand up in front of the camera or whatever and draw me back in um, because I know I know that that's there for me today. Yeah. And I think that doing that element really models for our interns and our supervisees this element of being a real person first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, asking for the support that you need in that process and that it, this is an open space to do that because even I'm going to do it. Um, right. Obviously, I'm not going to share all of my, you know, personal stuff yeah. if I've got stuff going on. But I am, I want to echo, like, if I do have personal stuff, I might say, like, yeah, I'm, I notice that I'm really preoccupied today with some of my personal stuff. So I'm going to really try and, like, notice that and move it off to the side so that you and I can focus on what you need today. Uh, but I, I, I want to honor the fact that, yeah, I got a lot of stuff going on in me or whatever uh, yeah. to give them space to say, this is really where I'm at and it's okay to really be where I'm at. Cause I'm a mm-hmm. human. Right. Yeah. I think that it's really important and it really helps with the rapport. I think also um, validating some of those feelings that we had early on in the field. 
right? Of sometimes sitting there and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to say next, mm-hmm. right? But it comes to you um, and you use your best judgment in those situations. But with therapists that are early in their career, they're coming into supervision. Like, I don't know what to do with this client, you know, and validating like, that's okay. That's what this space is for. Yeah. Um, or feelings of like, I don't think I'm a good fit, right? And is it really you're not a good fit? Or is it you doubting yourself right now? You know? Yeah. Um, so just, I think, being able to create that space and help them build their own foundational skills, I think is really important early on in their career. Yeah. As supervisors, I, I feel like it's really important for us to understand our own developmental cycle with supervisees and, mm-hmm. re- and so that we have a place to check back in on. Because I, I was noticing the other day that uh, a, a supervisee was asking me for, for an intervention or was asking me for a tool or whatever. And I had in my head like, we should be further along than this. Like you should, you should have already figured out where all these tools exist and like all the things like, why are you still asking me? And not in a mean way, but like, I don't understand where you're at. And then I, I took my developmental timeline and looked at her start date and was like, Oh, you're not where I thought we were because you're still way back here in this developmental phases where you do, where you are asking this stuff because she had melded so quickly into our team and stuff. I, I just had this like assumption, like we were on year two. Why aren't you already past this stuff? But yeah. no, it's it's literally only been like six months. Yeah. Oh, let me let me roll myself back to a right. minute and say, of course, you're still asking these questions. It's normal mm-hmm. for you to be asking these questions. And I love I love when supervisors take the time to understand, like, if I have this person in my life for a year, this is where we're going to start at. This is when I should start expecting for for them to have less of these types of questions mm-hmm. and more of these types of questions. And by the end, this is what I really want them to be wrestling with or understanding or developing. One of the things for me towards the end is that element of self-care that you mentioned. In right. my third year of graduate school, I think um, somebody used the term that self-care is as elusive as a Bigfoot. Um, and and I loved that and stuck with it for so long because mm. I think that we talk a lot about self-care, but we don't model good self-care. We don't show that it's possible. Mm-hmm. And so one of my goals in running my practice and in doing those pieces is to model those elements. So I put on my calendar when I'm getting a massage or when I'm taking a half day for personal Mm -hmm. time or whatever, because I want to model that like, that's all good. And okay, I expect for you all to do that too, Mm -hmm. please (laughs) take care of yourself. But also that element of by the end of their time with me, I really want them to feel like I like that they know, not me personally, but mm-hmm. that they know what a balanced life for them is going to be, whether that's running their own private practice and they want to put this energy out there mm-hmm. or being an employee and they want to put this energy out there like that they know what it's going to be like to to run enough of a balanced life where they can advocate for their self-care, take their time to do the mm-hmm. things, but also do all the stuff that they want to do. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the things, too, that I've stressed to them. Um, and then also I do some offsite supervisor work for the social work program. Nice. Um, and I was doing a group supervision and I was just telling them you have to plan self-care. Yeah. Right. You can't wait until you're burnt out to do self-care. So that can really just look like adding a day onto your weekend 
you know, taking some time off, but it has to be a planned thing because it's never going to happen until you are at that point where you're like, I need a day off. Right. And then it's not prevention anymore. Nope. Um, But, you know, one of the students that I've been working with for the last year, I think that I've asked her so much about self-care that now before we jump off of, you know, ending our time together, um, she'll she'll jump in and she's like, wait, what are you doing for self-care? And so that's how we now end our calls is she's making sure that it's reciprocated. Yeah. 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 I think that that's really important. And I would encourage Mm -hmm. all supervisees to ask that question Yeah, because we should be modeling it, right? It Mm -hmm. should not be a do as I say, not as I do kind of scenario (laughs) if we want to have longevity in this industry and mm-hmm. take care of the thing that does this work, which is us, right? Like right. That's a big part of it. So I, I think that's wonderful that they, that it has become mutual of what mm-hmm. are you doing for self-care? Great. What are you doing for self-care? Let's right. make sure we're taking care of ourselves in this process. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I have loved our time together today and think that um, that the state of New York is lucky to have you doing all the things that you are doing. Um, Thank you. If people want to know more about what you're doing or have any follow-up questions or anything, where can they find you? Um, so we have a social media page, the group practice does, um, mind underscore muse underscore therapy. Um, or they can just email me directly at judy at drfernandez.health always happy to answer questions or help in any way we can. Awesome. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug or share about what you've got going on in the world? Um, no, just practice self-care. Life's hard. hundred yeah, percent. That is probably yeah. the best plug that we could have at the end of any episode. Yeah. So I am right there with you for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And um, thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you next time. Hi, everybody. Wasn't that a great episode? I'm so glad that I got to talk to Dr. Judy. Okay, so our takeaways for today are number one, we are going to model self care as supervisors, it is crucial for us to prioritize our own self care in order to have longevity in the industry. By modeling good self care practices, we're also we're not only able to take care of ourselves, but we also inspire our supervisees to do the same. Take a few moments to write down three to five different ways that you can model self-care practices in your supervision time um, with your supervisees. The second takeaway is to build a support network. The relationships that we cultivate in this provision are often Um, one-sided. However, it's important to seek out a support network where we can safely share our experiences and stories without compromising confidentiality. This network can provide the necessary emotional support and help us to continue our work effectively. Some ways you might think about doing that is joining a Facebook group or um, ask local colleagues to go for uh, a quick coffee or plan a virtual coffee time with several uh, folks in your industry or in your network. And the last is to understand the developmental cycles of our supervisees. We cannot expect everyone to be at the same level of development, and it's important to adjust our expectations accordingly. This understanding allows us to provide appropriate support and mentorship to help our supervisees reach their full potential. Consider the developmental cycle and where your supervisees are at in that cycle. Maybe write down two to three ways to support their individual needs and development. All right, that's it for today, folks. We'll see you next time. This has been Supervision Smorgasbord with Dr. Tara Sanderson. 
please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find us at drterrasanderson.com backslash podcast and on all social media at Dr. Tara Sanderson. Thank you, and we will see you next time.